making moves where we celebrate the moves that women are making. My name is Amy Pons and I'm a master certified life coach and an energy healer. I'm joined today with Jennifer Cho. No one, no one knows transformation like Jennifer Cho. The pace of change in our world has accelerated and there are no playbooks to navigate the complex environments of business, media, and society. From established companies and brands to aspirational startups, businesses must transform along with today's intersectional audiences. Quickly, laser focus is needed to identify the core elements of your operation, the correct path forward and pitfalls to avoid as you go. Jen is passionate about helping organizations identify how to drive influence and operationalize vision into meaningful impact. She understands the multifaceted approach needed to engage with diverse audiences on today's public stages and build inclusive team cultures that move the conversation. Yes, a seasoned agency executive building a launch team of 1,500 for her telecom client at an experiential agency and counseling Fortune 100 leaders as a general manager and EVP of the South Region at IPG's Weber Shandwick. She is the partner that navigates complex systemic transformations to support your business and drive success. The former CEO of The Wing, a nationwide women's co-working organization, this C-suite marketing and communications leader has done the work for numerous industries across top global agencies and brands. Jen also draws on entrepreneurial success from pioneering music and sports properties and enjoys bringing her brand and business background to guide organizations into their next chapter. She's currently the CEO of Creator Deck, a full-service Marcom agency that specializes in driving influence. Jen, welcome! Hi, thank you. Thank you. So glad to be here, Amy. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. From the moment we met, there's this quote from a movie that sticks in my mind. And you're like the only person I feel in my life at this moment that would understand at all what I'm saying. So the line is, when did you fall in love with hip hop? And it's from the movie Brown Sugar. Wow, classic. (laughs) and that line sticks in my head because no one ever asks me that not that I don't know if people go around asking people that in in life but I have always been loved to be asked that and our first conversation we got into it and I can't remember the exact way that we formed it but I was sharing with you 808 by Black Aaliyah back and forth, touch me, tease me, Mace, Foxy Brown. And that's like the whole vibe of the movie scene of when they go through that. And I was like, Jen's the only one that will ever get what I'm saying. That was one of my favorite movies. And it's all about the music industry too. So (laughs) just working in it, being able to live the moment. And yeah, when he asked that question, that was, I felt that because, you know, music, hip hop and R&B, I think 90s hip hop and R&B is a special sauce. So all of the songs that you're talking about, you know, for me, I was in high school experiencing the music and I was learning how to drive. I think it was between junior and senior year that the love like formalized into like, I'm not going anywhere. And I feel like it was listening to music in the car with my friends, right? Like it was a different time. It was a different kind of bonding experience and hip hop allowed me to find myself. will always be a fan. Allowed me to find myself too. It made me realize I love the the beats, the flow, the rhythm. To this day, I and it's funny you say '90s because to this day, anything that I ever, if I ask that Amazon device, she'll go off. <laughs> actually, <laughs> when I ask my Amazon device <laughs> to play music, I will say play '90s hip hop and R and B. Yeah, it's the most special. But when you're 
seemingly pulling these threads of amazing inspiration and these bands and these artists. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was something that I felt so kindred with you on and that you just get it. Mm -hmm. And rarely in my life, especially in my adult life, there's one other woman in my entire life that's, that's like you, that's known exactly what I'm talking about. So thank you. Love that. No, I love the connection. I think that puts us in a different kind of starting zone than most relationships. There's just a lot that comes with that fandom. So I feel like I know you more than I do, which is an awesome thing. Same. Like I was like, oh my gosh, instantly just felt so connected to you. So I'm really happy to just know you and have you in my orbit and be in your orbit. And it's amazing. So I love it. Good vibes all around. You're doing so much. We just talked about before we hit record, we're both doing so much good stuff, so much exciting stuff that we feel heart centric aligned to. And there's also such a thing as good burnout. So, you know, maybe we'll get there at some point, but uh, to talk about that, but I'm so excited to talk to you today about, you know, I want to hear all about creator deck and I want to hear about the path and what we talked about over COVID and there's just so much, but right now, what are the moves that you're excited to be making? And tell us a little bit more about your work beyond the bio. Yeah, no, I love that. Making moves right now. So we just started talking about how it's been 90 days since I've taken on the CEO role at Creator Deck, an influencer agency that is now moving towards an agency of influence. So just really excited to get past that first kind of 90 days where you're learning, you're getting to know your people, your clients. We were just talking about how it's a little bit of madness at the end of the year with renewals. For those not in the agency world, you know, end of year, nothing's guaranteed. So renewal season is a critical season to set yourself up for the entire year ahead. So been fully drinking from the fire hose, Um, but it's been amazing. You know, I chose Creator Deck because I had the opportunity to work with some really smart, really talented and creative multi-generational creatives that have been driving influence within social for 14 years. So Yeah, so they were influencer marketing before influencer marketing had a name. So uh, OGs, 90s hip hop, originals, right? So (laughs) I was just thinking, as you said that, I was like, did influencer marketing exist? And it kind of maybe already always existed in some form. Sure. Sure. I I think about celebrities selling stuff, but to your point, definitely different, right? Yeah, I think the conversation around people who influence us has always been around, right? Like we've always looked at leaders. You know, I think back when it was the late 90s, Aaliyah was more of a tastemaker, I would say. She was beyond a talent, right? She, you know, drove fashion. She had her own influence. She was part of the culture. And to me, that's still influence. I just think that nowadays with social media and just some of the attention around specific creators, context around influencer marketing has like a negative context. But I think that influence has existed in marketing since the beginning of marketing. <laughs> Absolutely it has because you you look toward who you envy. Like I think about I'll think about my husband with his Air Jordans, like anything that Jordan was selling, he had to have. We've always looked up to someone. So you mentioned influencer marketing getting like a negative. What is that and why? We all have the creators that have given influencer marketing a bad name. You know, the creators who probably have some type of a shtick or probably promoting a culture that isn't necessarily positive. Let's be honest, influencer marketing is very visual, especially for women or people who identify as women. There are standards that are difficult to achieve. So I think there's some negative context around that. Like what is the ideal? What is a, what does a good life look like? What is beauty, right? So I think influencer marketing has taken some of that brunt, some of that negative context, but 
again, just taking it all back, there were always people who drove conversation. And you can't just put a negative stigma around a marketing discipline. I think you have to really just be thoughtful about how you change the narrative, how you storytell, how you get to the why, how you educate around this is not reality. So specifically, like it's no different than a commercial we used to see on TV with the Marlboro Man. Oh, wow. Yeah. Not great for you. Some negative context, but it's still marketing. The discipline exists. It's for the creators and the people that work, the brands and the creators to come together and change the narrative on their own. And it's not just specific to marketing. There's always going to be folks in every industry that try to get a piece of the pie. Sure. Mm -hmm. And I see that in coaching all the time. Pay this X amount of money. I'll teach you how to be a coach and things like that. Just because something worked for a specific human doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody. There are those kinds of people in every industry and it can happen anywhere. So it's just kind of being mindful and sticking to the professionals like you. You're evolving to like what it's going to be in the next, you know, 20 years because it's changing every day still. It is definitely changing every day. And the negative stigma we're talking about is that there's always bad actors in any field, right? There's also, there's also people who are just not talented. Like how many movies are out there? Anyone can be a director, but how many movies are actually good? So I kind of look at influencer marketing in the creator space in the same way. And I also think influencer marketing kind of has two, two bullet points under it, in my opinion. There's like the aspirational part. So you want to grow up and be whoever, right? Like you want to be able to afford the fashion of your favorite influencer. But I also think there's a different kind of influencer who influences and builds trust with their community. And I really believe in that type of engagement with audiences. I think that, I mean, we've lost trust in a lot of our leaders in the traditional influencers. So if you look at all the data, especially Gen Z, they don't trust government. They barely trust CEOs. So like, who do you go to? You have to have someone that you can go to for trust. And I do think that the right content creators have influence with their audiences, have built trust over time. And that could be a way to speak to different groups of people through the trust of those voices. So I think that's like what influence is. And I also don't think it's only social. I think that influence needs to be like a combination of a Marcom strategy because it's not formulaic anymore. You know, you come from the marketing and comms world. You know, it's not the same as like back in the day, you would have like your X number of agencies, they get the spend, you do the markup and everyone's done, right? Like everyone's happy. Your LTV to CAC looks fine. Like everyone's great, right? But, you know, nowadays <laughs> it's a lot more complex to move the needle. Uh, yeah. And that's <laughs> why I'm really happy that you and Creator Deck exist that get that. I think about it in the terms of putting the humanity back into marketing. Mm-hmm. I'm a marketing automation expert mm-hmm. and- You can (laughs) over-automate, meaning like forget about the human being at the other side. And I love what you said about Marcom because especially understanding there's something I always talk about, which is preferred channel. Not a lot of folks necessarily think about preferred channel or the way that someone's coming into something and getting back to that without being creepy and big brother. I put every channel message up like on a whiteboard and I'm like, do these match or talk to each other at all? People are not only coming in in a specific channel, but cross-channeling as well. The 360 experience, because people aren't staying just clicking an email and going to a website. It's going to be a lot of other stuff. Yeah. I mean, you you remember the user journey charts that we used to have to make, right? And, you know, mostly linear with like a couple trees. (laughs) But now, like you said, you don't know where someone's coming in. You don't know where they're leaving. You don't know where they're exactly coming back. 
So you have to make sure that you have a broad enough storytelling messaging that captures all, but then you have specific content and specific voices and strategy for different niche audiences as well. But like you said, if you throw it all up, it's got to all come together as like a brand. I see the polarization of marketing. There's people where it's so different. I'm like, is it even the same company? And then it's the one size fits all approach, which also doesn't work. (laughs) And I think what's really difficult for especially large, large, large organizations, corporations at this point is that, and I'll speak from my experience, is that back in the day, what you did was you created a system per product, let's say. And then now in 2023, none of those systems talk to each other. and purchasing a hub or doing like an uproot of all of that technology, I will tell you, because I was in these conversations, no leader wants to spend the time or money to do that. And the biggest thing I will tell people now is like, when you're creating something, just make sure it's flexible enough. Yeah. Yeah. Complicated, but that's why it's exciting. That's why this space is exciting, right? It's all blue skies. (laughs) You mentioned, it's funny, you mentioned Gen Z a little bit, and I want to go to a post that you recently made a week ago. Getting your head around Gen Z and what they want from brands. Um, (laughs) So if we could talk about that and then the event, what's happening? What's what's Gen Z? I know what Gen Z is. What does that mean? What are you talking about? I mean, I think, you know, marketers are always trying to get to that like generational fandom and Gen Z is a pretty, I still think it's a pretty broad range. It's like 12 to 26, but you know, you have the 18 to 26 year olds that you can market to now and they're starting to have affinity to brands, right? They're starting to purchase things. Their purchase power isn't quite as high as a millennial yet, right? They're still early in their careers and we still have the 12-year-olds. But I think marketers are trying to understand because we all know it's like that very like 18 to 26 on social that influences all, they influence our parents. We are all trying to figure out what that looks like from a marketing perspective, but I also think from a leadership and hiring perspective. So I think it's the internal and external. And I've seen quite a few conversations where, to be honest, I think people are just trying to figure it out. There's like early rounds of data, but you know, do we really actually know what that 12-year-old, who that 12-year-old is going to be? And Geisha, I've noticed the past couple of years have been um, challenging in new and unexpected ways. And we don't understand the impact of that in buying power into brand affinity, loyalty, but it's been exciting to be a part of the group that I think is hypothesizing. So that's what that talk was. It was like a, let's start talking about this. <laughs> I would love to hear more about the conversation and the the outcome. But one of the things that you also just said that really rang true, what you said about not just talking to them about marketing, but also the hiring, the leading them, Mm -hmm. they're Gen Z's coming out swinging. That's right. I love them for that. (laughs) They're giving all of us way more permission to accept our unique brilliance and our authentic selves. Mm -hmm. Also 18 to 26, none of us, Let's say, I won't say none of us. That's a broad brush. Millennials, X, boomers that are established in the workplace have no idea what it meant to finish your degree online, not having an in-person graduation, starting fully remote. They're literally in a world that none of us know. And yes, we lived also through the pandemic and we were on lockdown, but these pillar moments in their lives There's so much empathy to be had. And I feel based on conversations I've been having, Gen Z is almost getting a bad rap. Like people are getting pissed because they're like, they don't care. That's not true. And then everybody gets pissed at boomers because they're like, just go. Okay. We all spent a moment talking intergenerationally. We could learn to say like, we all have grievances with each other and we have such good common ground. 
part of um, what you're talking about, why it caught my attention is it's from like all facets of life. One, first of all, how you doing? Mm-hmm. How you doing? Millennials, how you doing? X boomers, how you doing? Not one person on this planet has ever survived, like gone through a pandemic or survived one, let alone thrived. What does that even mean right now? We're on such an interesting time and place where like 2023 was probably the first year where we were kind of like trying to get back at it. Mm-hmm. And there's been, in my view, there's been some hiccups where mm-hmm. there's been some forceful uh, decisions being made in the workplace that don't vibe with everybody. So my answer is to just listen to everybody. I don't know that it's that simple, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think your instincts are spot on because I think the the one hypothesis or approach that all of the speakers agreed on was that you have to listen. You have to listen. You have to have the dialogue because Gen Z is still growing up. Mm-hmm. It's like 12 to 26 year olds, right? So they're learning about themselves. In order for them to learn about themselves, you have to talk to them directly. You have to ask for their feedback, right? Like you have to have the conversation. So that was, I think that was the biggest takeaway. Outside of that, everyone did talk about how these are unprecedented times. And also, uh, we also talked a little bit about how the generation's gaps are closing. So I know I'm technically a Xennial, so Gen X millennial, you know, usually it's like a decade, like 10 to 15 years, I forgot what the exact is between a generation. But, you know, I'm curious to see Gen Z split up because I think it's very different if you experience like COVID and lockdown in like elementary, middle school, high school, or college. I do think that there's different kind of things happening. We then kind of went into some kind of high level trends that we're seeing. No surprise to anyone, Gen Z is constantly on some type of device, whether it's on their phone, on a website, on a social media platform. But then interestingly, there are some behavior habits that are changing. So the one that was most interesting to me, I met my husband on Tinder. So I'm always interested on how like Gen Z is like dating, because I think that's like a snapshot into humanity and the way that we interact with each other. But Gen Z is not on dating apps. They've like given up. It's like hit a climax. And then they're like, this sucks. We're not doing this. We want to meet people in person doing like-minded things. However, Gen Z struggles the most with social interaction because of COVID, because of the digital world, uh, because of everything that you and I have experienced over the past decade that prevents humans from learning how to talk to other humans, right? So I just thought that was like a really interesting like juxtaposition of the identity crisis, which I would feel like as a Xennial marketer, I would have hypothesized that there's more of the app dating happening, right? Because you're on your device and everything else, but then it's actually the opposite. And I'm like, you're afraid of social interaction. And yet that's how you want to meet your life partner. Like that's fascinating to me. It really is. It's almost like they want something real because they lived virtually for so long, like by force. Correct. But then you can't train people on small talk. You got to just like, be in the room and like have friends. I mean, a lot of, a lot of my key life learnings were probably in a basement, like doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing. Um, Um, Yes. Or watching a music video. Watching Janet Jackson. If those are goals, right? That, That was, that was part of her like transformation, but there isn't like one source of truth for Gen Z. So who's in charge of, and not necessarily teaching, I wouldn't say teaching. It's like coaching or guiding sure. them to, well, let me know if you disagree or agree, but like, I don't think it's the workplace because yeah. the workplace today, when those 20 some year olds go to enter it, they're like, what the fresh hell is this? 
Uh, this is not where I'm going to learn my best self. This is my my opinion, and it's a broad brush, not all four places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, because again, I think there's a there's a miscommunication. There's a misunderstanding about what they're wanting to do and trying to do here, and that seems like it's across all generations. Meaning, there's a lot of assumptions towards boomers, and like you know, everyone was taught differently like that's the reality and so but now I'm really worried about Gen Z is like who's guiding them yeah but that's that's where it gets complicated and the concern comes into play because it depends mm. like this is where we go back into that conversation around influence back in the day we could do like age demographic look at tv stats you know tv eyes would do their rapport you could get the eyeballs and impressions and there's all this data but nowadays it's like who do they identify with and who do they trust and that is not one source of truth. It is completely a broad spectrum, right? Depending on who they are, exactly their age, how they identify, they're going to different sources of truth for that leadership and that guidance. So it's not in one place, which is why it's so hard to understand. Oh, wow. It's also like, y'all don't get it. <laughs> like I think it's such a contrast that it's so interesting I agree that all the data shows that Gen Z is like, oh, hybrid or remote environments. Amazing. Um, Boomer, get back in the office, right? So there's like this disconnect. However, in the world of Gen Z, where is the space that their life is the most civil? Because we live in a world of polarization. Everyone is fighting and nasty and terrible. And that's the world that we live in today. So the data actually shows that the workplace is more civil than your home or your friends or anything else, because in the workplace, you have to kind of stay in the middle. Professionalism that we used to call professionalism as Xennials was not talking about politics or religion, right? Like that was like the unsaid rule. And like in the office, you could get fired if you were like attacking someone or, you know, having like a microaggression. But now they're not in the office. They've lost that civility. We all know like families are polarized in the world that we live in today. Friendships are polarized. So then like, where are they getting that civil human interaction thing? Like they're basically getting trained to be polarized and having like these niche like conversations, which doesn't actually actuate any change because you're living in an echo chamber, right? So this is again, like the complexity that confuses me because I'm like, you live in a world where you either hate someone or you love them. It's a bestie or enemy. Like, where do you go where you could just kind of learn from other people because if you don't understand the other side it's like a debate like you'll never win and it's going to make their next 10 15 20 years pretty challenging when all of us are still here right. and right. I just want to understand each other on the flip side the boomers that are still that are running these organizations that are saying get back to work they only feel safe in the office and maybe not safe in the context that you're talking about with Gen Z, but for boomers, that's, that's all they know. Correct. That's their security. And so it's just interesting that what you bring up now is like, Hey, Gen Z and boomers talk about what feels safe and secure to you and maybe bond on that. There's more common ground than I think that we oh. give credit to all the gens about. And I just wish there were more intergenerational conversations with all of the four big ones right now. If you're ever part of those, I just want to start, I, I want to start cultivating that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, I'm literally leading a four generational team right now. And that's why when I was doing our intro, it's been such an interesting experience to learn because the marketing part of it 
is one side that I'm looking at. I'm also one of those zennials that's like, okay, what does Gen Z want? I really, really, you know, and I'm literally on panels trying to figure this out. And then I lead a team that has a significant number of Gen Z employees who are amazing. And I'm learning so much from them and also watching them kind of like come into their own as adults into their own identity. And all of that's really exciting. From a leadership perspective, it is complicated. <laughs> wow. Like you've got to say four different things at any given time. Yeah. But like a town hall, you got to like bring everybody together. And it's like, okay, let me think about this talk track I'm going to script out. What are we trying to do? Right. Like, is anyone going to be offended by this? And especially as a comms person, when I put that hat on, I'm putting it through like, used to be like one or two filters. Now it's like 22, right? Like you're one of the humans right now trying to figure it out and trying to be really intentionally inclusive and And again, listen and understand, not just force your way of what you know, which is where I believe the workplace has gotten off track a little bit in some of the bigger corps is that everyone's just forcing down what the leader wants or knows. And that's what's causing the discourse. And it leads in a toxic work environment and workplace abuse, all of that. So we need more like you. You touched on this a little bit earlier with like the bad actors and like the negative stigma about around influencer marketing. If you had two people in front of you, one who gets it, who loves influencer marketing and wants to pick your brain about what's going on in the trends and like what's happening, but then also someone that's like, mm-hmm. I'm over it. Does that message sound the same to both of them? Or would you, would you illustrate that a little bit differently? Yeah, I think it has to be illustrated differently. Clients always run the gamut. Shout out to all the clients out there. Clients come from different backgrounds, so they might disagree with you. You know, I think as a marketer, I always laugh when when you're a senior marketer, you came up in a different path. You were either like a performance marketer, like all data, like all numbers, right? Like, or you were like a comms person who was always at the front end, like awareness, right? Like different success metrics. I think marketers like all have different specialties within their disciplines. So it just gets really complicated when you're trying to, again, just put all CMOs in like one place or something like that. When I hear like Marcom, I always chuckle, but that's really, it's a blend. It's actually like one word nowadays. So depending on the person and their appetite for this conversation on where like marketing comms and PR has gone, I would walk out their positivity or their negativity in a different way. Personally, I'm usually like a data person. So I would definitely go into why do you have that opinion or that bias? And then just kind of walk through like how that doesn't make sense and how you should really look at kind of the discipline of marketing, brand influence and everything else through a different lens in 2023, because it is very different and it will continue to evolve and change. You know, what's interesting you see about bias, it's the data and it's like, did something piss you off? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, what, did something, is there a feeling there that we can, that we can walk through? Like you're kind of coaching a little bit. <laughs> I mean, like, help me understand what comes up for you in that, because it could be, you know, depending on what they've seen. So that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And there's both and there's room for both. That's always what makes it a fun conversation. And and to your point, back to always learning and listening. So Mm -hmm. definitely. Jen, where do we find you? (laughs) So definitely look for me on LinkedIn, Jennifer Cho, CEO of Creator Deck. So definitely look for us there. And then I am the Jen Cho on Instagram. The Jen Cho. (laughs) And she absolutely is. One of a kind, right? Yes, you are. Closing remarks as we wind down. 
I'm so excited that I met you through the hype women movement. Shout out to Erin Gallagher. You know, I think my closing remarks are that, hey, 2023 has been rough. It's been another, yet another challenging year. I hope that everyone rests up because you need to get ready. 2024 is going to be a doozy. It's going to push us. It's going to challenge us. So I hope that everyone gets a nice like reset gets ready for the year in a positive state, gets all their energies like stored up. And yeah, if you have any needs, questions around influencer marketing, PR or experiential, please check out creatordeck.com. Thank you, Amy. Thanks, Jen. 